0: Hi there, welcome to the Digital Insurance Point podcast. I'm your host, Tom Reed, and as always, I'm joined by Adam Mitchell, CEO of Mitchell & Whale, Jeff Roy, CEO of Excalibur, Steve Earle, CEO of Cheap Insurance, and our special guest today is Ben Richies from Aviva, Executive VP and Managing Director of Strategic
1: Partnerships. Uh, Can you just tell us what that actually means? Uh, within, uh, within Aviva, I sit on the exec committee and I look after the um, strategic partnerships we have as a business. We have a big relationship with RBC. Um, we have some smaller partnerships with other people across Canada, like um, Save on Foods in Western Canada and um, Tesla and a few other small partnerships. And I'm involved in occasional strategic partnerships with brokers as we, as we look at those. Just uh, to make sure we don't
0: have any conflict of interest, do you have any strategic partnerships with the guys on the panel here?
1: Not at the moment. Right. <laughs> that was, sorry, that was, I should have saved that for later. Yeah. Maybe, Second order uh, of
2: business: Can we explain the duster? Can we
1: go <laughs> into the?
0: Yeah, what's with the what's with the facial uh, the facial covering there?
1: Well, it is it is uh, November, otherwise known as Movember, and so I'm trying to raise uh, raise awareness and funds um, for men's health. So. Okay. Awesome. And maybe uh, just
0: for our guests who may not know you, can you explain your accent?
1: Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm I'm a Brit, Tom. I, I, I uh, What? No. Speak the, uh, speak, the <laughs> speak the Queen's English, and um, yeah, I've been in Canada for five years, so so I'm I'm still a relative trainee Canadian compared to uh, compared to you guys.
0: We do have uh, some speed round questions, which will uh, test your uh, your knowledge of some parts of Canadiana here. So, uh, give us your favorite Canadian band of all time.
1: When I was about kind of eighteen, nineteen, I've got a lot of good memories of. Of you know, rocking out to Alanis Morissette stuff, so I probably would say would say her stuff would be my my favorite. Um, there's a there's a bunch of Canadiana that, that that I kind of got introduced to since I got here that I haven't quite got my head around yet. So things like the Tragically Hip, I haven't, I haven't quite I haven't quite fallen in love with yet. But you know,
3: interview's yeah, we, over.
0: Okay, well, that's what we're done. <laughs> we're done. Uh, so uh, you got a package from us. Which which of the beers did you open?
1: Well, I'm about to open, actually. I've got uh, Pucker Up.
3: Pucker Up. Pucker Up, nice. I hear you. <laughs> I'm there having there. a Pucker Up tonight, too.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> right on. Yeah. Good on. So we had is Pucker Up from Garrison's as
4: well? Absolutely. All right. I, so, ran out of, G- I ran out of Garrison. My pack. Steve, you have to ship me some more. But I have some Stonehouse Brewing, Chuck Pilsner, from a local brewery here from Mike Corey. So, Jeff, uh, you're saying that Garrison's was so good, you finished it all? Well, we did three episodes and only, Steve only sent me three beers, so.
0: Oh, I got four. Huh, sucks to be you.
4: There you okay. go. I got six, <laughs> I think. Oh, shit.
1: I got okay. four and I'm only doing one episode. So I'm doing one. <laughs> there you go, right? You
0: have to drink them all in the episode, though, just so you know. Okay. Favorite and, and or least favorite part of the industry?
1: My favourite part is always going to be about how we um, how we help people in the time of need, being able to be there for people. There's not there's not a lot more life affirming than than being involved in one of those difficult claims and seeing that through. Yeah. And then I think the probably least favourite is just the general sense of complexity that still exists in our products for customers. Right, just, just as an industry, I think we can we can do a better job of trying to simplify, you know, what our, what our offerings are for, for consumers to make it a bit easier to understand. All right. So
0: what was your um... Biggest surprise upon coming to Canada five years ago.
1: Personally, it was probably just how cold Canada can really be. Uh, I remember coming in February to Toronto when it was like minus twenty-five or something. Um, but I think professionally, I'd probably say I came to Canada with a with a with a an expectation that the market was going to really flip and and well, all the transitions digital was going to accelerate really aggressively. Um, and it hasn't really played out the way I was expecting it to. It's a bit more nuanced and, a, and a, a bit more complex landscape to, to get your head around name one of
0: the seven dwarfs happy happy Bert. <laughs> if you were given an all expenses paid trip to sarnia would you take it
1: i had to look up where sarnia was I <laughs> but i i i would i mean i think you you may remember tom from when we worked together i was always a keener to to volunteer to go Anywhere that um, we needed to send someone from the committee, so I remember volunteering for Winnipeg in February. So, yes, I would definitely um, take an all-expenses-paid trip. Awesome. On it. How many Netflix
0: series have you watched since COVID hit and locked us down?
1: Well, I've been watching two actually. There's a couple that I've, that I've found really kind of interesting, but, but one of them is, is um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen Jack Whitehall's Travels with My Father. He's a British stand-up comedian who's about 30 and his dad's like in his late 70s. And it's like a sort of every week they go on a road trip somewhere together and his dad hates every second of it. It's just every <laughs> second of it. He cannot stand it. And uh, it's just hilarious watching watching this, this stand-up comedian wind his father up. And you can tell he just finds the whole thing so funny.
0: Wait, so let's, let's turn our attention here to some uh, you know, more, a little more professional kind of questions here. Uh, Aviva has a new global CEO. Morris Tulloch, who we all know and love, uh, has stepped down, and uh, uh, Amanda is now the global CEO. What impact do you foresee on Aviva Canada and its broker partners of um, the new CEO?
1: Well, I mean, I haven't had a chance to spend that much time with her. We, we, we've had a meeting with her as the exec committee of Canada, and we've obviously, we've obviously seen her talk a lot about the business internally and give us, give, a, give, give us her views on strategy and direction for the company. I think she's really impressive. I think she's got incredible focus around what she's trying to achieve. Um, she's got a real passion to transform the, um, the business. And I think she's been very clear about where her target markets are—that she wants to, to to strengthen and grow and invest in the UK, Ireland, and Canada. So, for the Canadian business—that can only be a good thing. I think um, when Aviva, as a big global organisation, chooses to throw its its weight behind a market like Canada, we've got a real opportunity to 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 progress and develop as an organisation that can really you know go about doing some some more great things with, with some real pace and vigor. So I, I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. I think it's got the potential to help us um, both grow and, uh, and transform as a business. Okay. Hey Ben, great.
4: Take, uh, four years ago, uh, last week, we had the uh, Viva Hackathon, which you're very big, one of your big initiatives, uh, yeah. Digital Garage, was an incredible space. I was lucky enough to participate in it. What, uh, what did you learn from the Digital Garage and the experience uh, what what did you learn and what were your biggest disappointments?
1: You know, when we set up our garage here in Canada, it was really focused around engineering, right? As a Viva Canada, we we wanted to build a digital engineering function so that we could digitize our systems and build out some some propositions for customers, APIs, and and you know through the hackathon, as you as you know, we we built something that then turned into um, turned into a Viva Alliance. So we we we. Uh, you know, I think we achieved what we wanted to in terms of building some capability to build some new um, technology that could, you know, help us advance the business. So I think as, as things evolved, the UK garage became much more about um, innovation, venturing, working with startups, uh, customer propositions, some of that kind of stuff. I think it's now pulled back a little bit back towards the, the, the core of, you know, building, building, building digital technology for the Um, for the business. Um, But I, I, I think, you know, we achieved, we achieved a lot in terms of getting the foundations in place to be able to digitize the business and start that journey and move that forward. I think it, you know, in in my mind, timing is sometimes everything. And there was a point where we probably had, you know, headwinds as an industry heading towards us at, at a time when we weren't necessarily expecting them. So heading into what was, you know, quite a difficult period, I think for Ontario Auto meant that we didn't, we didn't have quite the same freedom to, um, invest in innovation and develop new propositions but look i think we're coming out of that we're coming out of that um of that period we you know we've obviously got the headwinds of covid but i i feel like you know certainly aviva is a much stronger business than it was um at that point and we've got you know more opportunity with potentially more support from our from our parent group i think you know the garage is, is still there it's it's there's no one in it and it hasn't been for eight months just like every other office in Canada. Um, but I'm sure at some point soon we'll, you know, we'll, we'll get back to work and in the office and, and we'll continue to develop the, the projects that the garage originally had as a, its core as its aspiration.
4: Yeah. I think the garage for us, first of all, the garage bring a lot of us here on this call together and it did some great work early on to, you know, and to light a fire to help brokers get over humps. And uh, I think it was, uh, you know, phenomenal. And I really enjoyed the hackathon. It was cool. I mean, the people I met and going through the process and, you know, coming out with we called it a catalyst, but we had a quote binding issue solution we built in 24 hours that turned into Ally. So that was really cool. So uh, thanks for doing that,
3: Ben. From an early time as a broker, I was taught that really the only thing consistent about Aviva was inconsistency. So. What are we going to see that changes with this new global CEO? What, what's going to change to make our lives either easier as brokers?
1: Well, I mean, I, I think, um, you know, I think locally in Canada we're doing quite a lot in that space to try and invest in our, you know, our foundations, our underlying systems, infrastructure, APIs, guide wires. So, you know, there's a, lot, there's a lot going on that I think will, will help with that. I think, you know, what having a new CEO brings to that A group level is is focus and um support you know if we're going to be um one of three target markets then the expectation i think would be that we we get a lot more interest and support from the group around the things that we want to progress and i think obviously trying to support the broker channel to to develop and grow and and you know support them with technology to do that would be a key part of that
2: so you, you talked about having the headwinds you head into and market timing and you know good and bad luck on it. Is there is there anything you you do differently or do you play all the cards the same way second hand around?
1: No, I think it is it is different. I mean, I, I think you know, COVID as a as a um, as an event is in some ways the kind of accelerator that that digitization. Has probably been looking for in Canada. Now it's obviously an awful event, and I don't really want to talk about there being anything, quote unquote, positive to come out of it. But you know, when I look at digitization and the kind of acceleration of digitization of the business in the UK, you see these kind of moments in time where something happens that changes things. You know, we had the 2008 financial crisis in the UK, and it's no coincidence in my mind that the aggregators and price comparison websites really started to emerge in 2009 2010 and suddenly became enormous overnight it's in my mind it's no coincidence that that kind of economic strain bred creativity so in my mind i feel like you know canada hasn't it's had relative prosperity for a really prolonged period of time covid is an event that i think has the potential to really disrupt so i think you know your playbook will be slightly different because i think we're going to see things potentially move slightly quicker than we might otherwise have done.
0: I've been, I've been working with Aviva and and a number of other carriers trying to push the DX football down the field, so to speak. Is that something that Aviva sees as a partner to your digital efforts? Like how does that, how does DX fit into Aviva's various investments?
1: Well, I mean, I I think the key, um, the key thing in my mind is about how we support data exchange, um, data exchange programs, standard, standardization, standards programs across the industry to enable us to accelerate um, the progress uh, of digital kind of as a, as a sector, right? I think in, in my mind, you know, we can, we can all as carriers individually go and, progress our own point solutions but you only move the whole industry forwards if you if you work together on on things like this so in my mind it's something that we don't we certainly talk about as being important and i think our commitment to that is is uh, is pretty it's pretty clear we we want to we want to invest in you know more connectivity more kind of standardized um, ways to interoperate and work with brokers more effectively
2: we're very much behind, many years behind the UK from a from an, an API digital enablement connectivity. Hmm. What can a broker watching in on this expect <laughs> to see? If you could wave a magic wand and and give all of the industry over here some connectivity.
1: Yeah, I mean a long, a long, long time ago, when I was a, a kind of software engineer, I was involved in some stuff in the UK that was was run by a standards body called Polaris, which was building out. Um, kind of messaging data interchange standards for um, commercial insurance. Uh, and they had a, a, a portal called iMarket where you you brought, you know, everybody was everybody could hook into that connect and and you know show what they had. Uh, and I think, you know, the, the standards work that was driven through that just drove everybody to in the industry towards a, a position where they were, you know, working on the same, the same underlying standards that meant people could start to build propositions on top of things a bit easier if you then look at the 2008 2009 kind of period where aggregators started you know although some of the some of the aggregators then and still now um, you know patched together all kinds of different data standards from different um, different companies i think the more consistency there is in the in the way in which they do that the more innovation that can be built on top of it so in my mind, I think if we can get to a point where we've got some really clear standards in place and some and some um, universally accepted patterns in terms of how you how you interact with um, with carriers, then you'll see more innovation built on top of that. It costs, you know, ultimately, the more the more different, you know, the more d- different models and um, message formats and data standards you guys have to deal with, the more money you're investing in that rather than invent, you know, innovating on customer experience or um some of the more interesting elements of the
2: like if I'm if I'm a a small broker in in Sarnia named Barry Hogan and what how is my day gonna <laughs> change, you know, when I'm doing something um because these standards have been enacted.
1: Well I think there'll be more I think there'll be you know more platforms available for you to hook into, connect to, white label. Um I think you'll just have more options in terms of the way in which you you, you can run your business.
4: What do you think the broker of the future needs to do to compete against the directs better? Is API and connectivity enough? What's some insight of what brokers could do to better adapt in the next one to two years to make sure we stay relevant?
1: Um, you need to be really clear on what your value proposition is to the customer and how you how you digitize that. You know there are some unique features of being a broker that that give you an advantage over the directs, and it's about how you Build on those, leverage those, and in you know, in some cases, digitize that experience in a way that perhaps hasn't necessarily been done today to give you an advantageous position. You know, you offer choice, you offer advice, um, and you you offer, a, I think, a differentiated service to some. So it's in my mind about how, how brokers package that up, how they put that proposition together. And as you know, more and more investments come in marketing for the directs. Um, and more and more investment comes in technology for the directs. Being able to understand what your points of differentiation are, and be able to really digitise that and make that a, a key, effective platform to work from is going to be the difference.
3: When you first came on, you said you expected digital to catch right away. Mm-hmm. So, a why
1: hasn't it, and what's holding it up? You know, the UK's, um, you know, last decade to some extent has, was really powered by having a big financial crisis that, that made it a necessity to do that as consumers look for lower costs and lower price offerings. So I think there hasn't been quite the same um, race to the bottom on price that there was because there hasn't been the same kind of economic need for that. COVID may well change that. We you know, we may well start to see some quite different behaviours. I know from some of the price comparison sites, I've, I've spent some time working with and talking to in Canada in the last um, last six months, you know, they are seeing year over year increases in the, in the number of people that are shopping. So I think it's, you know, it's clear something's happening. The question is how how, how fast is that going to happen? How, you know, what might a recovery look like from COVID and,
5: and, and where does it all bottom out? To see your agency succeed, Nationwide Brokerage Solutions is here to support you every step of the way. Don't you survive in the competitive insurance industry? Thrive with Nationwide Brokerage Solutions today. Get started today and learn more at mbsbrokerage.com. That's where you learn more, mbsbrokerage.com, cash certified.
0: Speaking about digital and brokers and their value props and so on, I can tell you in an earlier episode uh in season 1 we actually delved delved into the sales experience that these three guys were having you know at a time when many carriers were doing the right thing and giving money back to their consumers because mm-hmm. people take the cars off the road so you know the whole insurance premium pie essentially was shrinking especially with you know the auto side plus you know small businesses you know having less revenues and some shutting down unfortunately and so on anyway each of these guys was growing double digit percentage year over year so yeah you know, that, that can only mean that more consumers are going online to shop and these guys are sure. positioned well. Right. So. And I, I think,
1: think that's I think... the difference between being ready when this kind of thing happens, like you guys are right. You're in a position where you've got the platform to succeed and the people who are now playing catch up. Right? So. Yeah. So
2: where's Aviva at with their investment cycle or where are they investing in digital and what do we expect to see in the next 12 and 18 months?
1: I think we, we'll, you know, we we um we've long talked about our investment in in Guidewire. I think we're going to get we're going to start getting some real chunky investments dropped on that in the next in the next twelve to eighteen months. I think we're going to continue to to invest in the journey on APIs that we've that we've started and, and hope to expand on that and and do more with that, and then continue on things like Paperless and some of the kind of efficiency um angles that I think are just needing to be needing to be taken as we, as we go through this, this COVID experience. Any
2: sign of how that changes the day-to-day for broker partners or is it yet to be seen as we,
1: well, I, th- out, I think Guidewire is going to be a, a, it's not, it's not a quick, it's not a quick project to, to deliver, right? So I think yeah. some of that will be foundational for a while before you start really feeling the, um, the impact of that. And I'm sure the guys who are working on that are thinking quite, quite hard about, um, evolution of broker experience you know i think if we were thinking about this 12 months ago and now you're thinking about it 12 months on with everything that's happened what you feel you need to cater for and how you cater for um, the experience of brokers in that environment is going to have changed right so Mm -hmm. i'd say it's going to continue to evolve as the market does around us right is guidewire a global initiative for aviva i mean guidewire's been a global global um architecture standard for um, P and C insurance platforms for um, a long time. You know, you know, probably the best part of a decade. So they're kind like the,
3: of like the applied of insurance companies. <laughs>
2: is, well, is that they fair c- to say?
1: They certainly have, have, have taken an enormous amount of market share. That's for sure. They 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 seem you know everybody seems to be converging on GuideWire as the platform. That's for sure.
0: So what what's sort of the minimum requirements for a broker to consider themselves truly digital?
1: with consumers feeling less comfortable you know dealing with people face to face um there aren't people necessarily walking into offices i think there's less expectation of that being a, a, a you know a, a, a key part of the business going forward so i think you know realistically in my mind you've got to have the ability to um at least get a price in front of a customer, you know, on, you know, proper online quote with a, with a price that they can, you know, they can stand by if they want to call you and take that up. That that to me is the kind of minimum standard at this point. Um, you know, I ideally given, given people's expectations and the shift in consumer behaviors, you really want to be able to get to a point where you've got a website where you can do, um, you know, pr- proper online sales and service, you know, whether that's, you know, necessarily every transaction someone might want to do or just the major ones. I think that's increasingly going to move to become table stakes. We're talking about
4: insurance getting more invisible. Uh, we're being built into the product. That's a big mm. trend over in the UK and they've seen it over in Asia. For instance, you buy a car, your insurance is embedded in with more makes and models with the more technology, for mm-hmm. example, UBI built into it. Do you think that's going to become the way things are bought? And brokers will either be part of that uh, ecosystem to use the term or and it's bought and we're not really front-facing uh, is that a trend that you see proliferating here
1: well I mean I see it both as an ideological threat and as an opportunity for both carriers and and brokers really you definitely can see um, uh partnerships that have evolved around you know vehicle manufacturers so you can see you know, volvo porsche people like that who do the kind of everything but the gas subscription type model where the insurance is rolled in you definitely see those happening in the us whenever i've looked at those in canada one of the challenges has always been um certainly in ontario the regulatory angle okay. on that okay. and how you make that work now you know fizzera seem to be um much more open to innovation and trying different things these days and 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 i would hope that that's the kind of thing that they would um you know see as an important progressive thing to create opportunities to experiment with in the industry in canada but uh i think until until there's um a clear path forwards on a regulatory standpoint it's not going to be a big breakthrough for auto at least you you know you might you might start seeing it in the kind of warranty you know warranty product type stuff you might start seeing some of that stuff a bit more embedded in 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 the way people buy things but i um you know i think it'll be a while yet here, but absolutely i think it's a huge future trend that we all need to you need to keep an eye on and think about what our role in that ecosystem is going to be because you know if if we're not thinking about it, you can guarantee that there there is a whole bunch of people ranging from you know massively well funded startups to enormous auto manufacturers back to a guy in his garage who's you know got an idea that we'll be thinking about it
3: independent brokers 2500 of us in the country how do how do we view this and try to future future proof our business looking at that
1: i mean well that's the that's the that's the that's the trick isn't it that's the that's the secret (laughs) sauce that someone's got to crack right i think because i think you can have insurance embedded with a product but you can still be selecting covers or you know choosing which which partner you want that through in some way just in the same way that we are you configure what color seats you want and what kind of wheels you want as a new car you know i think there's a point where insurance could just become a couple of couple of different drop downs in that transaction and you're selecting some some covers and different things that you know then brokers wow. can can support choice you know customers said they want you know x y and z um, that means I'm going to, that's going to be placed with market ABC rather than market DEF, right?
2: When do you think that self-driving cars arrive here? And then the follow-ups, what's, what's the complications or impact that has for both of our businesses?
1: I think five years ago, I, I mean, I, so look, my daughter's 13. And I think about five years ago, I said she'd be the first generation of, of, um, of kids to never drive a car. Um, and that's not going to happen. Like you know, four years time, she's going to learn to drive a car, and we'll be driving a car. It's not. It's not that 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 speed of change isn't going to happen. Um, she's more
2: likely to become a hipster and get a nice manual, like cloth top something at this point.
0: As
1: long as, as, as long as she's uh, not, you know, finding a hipster boyfriend with a big moustache. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs>
0: Except in November, <laughs> apparently.
1: Look, I actually think Ontario in particular is very well positioned to be an extremely fast follower for, for autonomous vehicles. California is going to be first. I think once California crack it in terms of how they manage the the challenges that come from a kind of legal perspective, a, a you know, regulatory perspective, how they manage all of the things that sit around that, of which there are plenty, I think Ontario will not be that far behind Just based on the level of support we've given it as an industry. So talking
2: a decade or two
1: decades, I think a decade, I think a decade's not unreasonable.
2: 10 year and they're, they're here in a major way. Okay. So they're here. And then the up is what happens to the brokering business and what happens to the manufacturing business of the insurer rates?
1: I, you know, I don't think anybody has got a, a a crystal ball answer to yet. Right. I think the, um, you know, just some of the core underlying ethical questions around around um, autonomous vehicles. You know, you've got you've got an elderly um, gentleman and a five year old crossing the road, and the car computes and has to kill one of them and it has to decide which one because it's trying to minimise casualties as it's programming. Right? How do how do how do you how do you deal with that? Who's responsible for that? Can you Do think you know, of facial people,
2: recognition deciding whether they're an Aviva client or not? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think I think that might be going just time it too far, Adam. But, Futurist, um, yeah, but, it's, uh, two decades. But, but I well, think did... I think it's I think there is a there is enormous amount to be sorted out just in terms of who's accountable before you then start working out um, what the cover cover coverage looks like underneath that. Because I think there's a there's an argument to be made that the the oem the manufacturer can be the only person who's held accountable at that point um and that radically changes the, the the nature of the landscape for us for sure
4: if you add in transportation as a service and people buying a netflix-like subscription to driving a car and you can pay 200 dollars a month to be able to drive when you need to drive or get picked up by an autonomous electric vehicle then people think it's as close as five years out which I, I agree with you. The regulatory environment's a little tight. No. But it'd be interesting to people see. People like the their nap. cars, yeah. Jeff.
3: People yeah. like their cars. I cleaned my like car this but, afternoon. I love They my like car. their
4: cars, but they maybe like one car. But do you see, see the peak of auto insurance being hit in two, three, four years, and people go down from having two cars to one car?
1: People will want cars for certain things. Like I'll, I know that if I'm, if I'm going to drive up north and go skiing, and it's an hour and a half drive and an hour and a half drive back, I will quite happily have an autonomous vehicle drive me up and drive me back. If I've got like a, you know, a nice car that I enjoy driving, I'm going to go and drive it because I enjoy, enjoy driving it. And that may well result in this kind of split of cover. You may have, you know, semi-autonomous vehicles where, you know, the, the, the carrier is covered when you're driving and the autonomous vehicle is covered by the manufacturer when they're driving. But I think there'll definitely be some, there'll definitely be some use cases that are different and you'll see the market segment differently as a result.
3: If I was to ask you honestly, where are insurers putting their money? Is it on the broker channel long term, or is it we need to cut deal with uh, Toyota and get into the, the door with uh, manufacturers?
1: What's that space look like for the people who, who who love their cars or want to you know want to drive, for example, in this you know future world? Uh, a broker is incredibly well positioned because they're going to want, you know, to look after their vehicle, they're going to want the best advice and they're going to want to make sure they've got the right cover for it. Um, for your consumer that just wants to get from A to B, uh, I think, you know, the, the the manufacturer underwritten future is something that I think is, you know, potentially a reality for them. But I don't I don't think it's a single bet that the whole industry is going to go one way or the other. And, you know, as a, as a company like Aviva, we'll need to back multiple distribution channels and multiple different ways to market to be successful. got to hedge bets. As, as we do yeah. today, right?
3: Yeah. Yep. Ben, you've bought an insurance brokerage.
1: What do you do to fix it up? <laughs> Are you selling, Steve? <laughs> sure, I've just sold it to you. <laughs> in my mind, it would really be about knowing what your core um, digital platform to grow the business is going to be investing in that and um, Expecting that you know to see growth on that But it's a long-term play of investment to make a return work on that in my mind, I mean, I, have, I haven't given a lot of thought Steve because I'm not actually in the process no. of buying a brokerage no. but, no. but, but you know if you're yeah. selling let me know That's good
4: That's <laughs> <Very> good. <laughs> good. He's gonna sell out two times commissions
3: Two times right. premium <laughs>
0: let's, let's keep it to the insurance world um, What one problem would you fix with a magic wand?
1: I would I would probably try and get to a, a kind of stand, standardized set of APIs and, and, and interchange for the industry because I think that would just create a platform for innovation and creativity that would power the industry somewhere somewhere it's not been able to go to date. As the uh, IBAC DX rep on the
0: call, I hope you take that message back to your executive committee because uh, that's, a, that's the correct answer. Um, <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'll send him uh, more beer.
0: Yeah, <laughs> beer for everybody in the executive team. Let's get outside the insurance industry for a second. What non-insurance company do you most admire and why?
1: Brewdog. Brewdog are a, um, they make a, they're a brewery um, and uh, they are just awesome as a business because like they innovate everything. So they start from a position of two guys that want to start a brewery to innovate, innovate the, 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 um, industry by making great beer so they start making great beer and then they start innovating on different types of beer and then you know people start to hear about their beer they think it's cool they start to then you know they innovated their ownership structure so they you know people could buy shares in the company then they innovated how their AGMs work so their AGM is basically like a music festival that happens once a year it's 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 totally different and then they started buying um uh, pubs in the UK. So they kind of started to vertically integrate their, their um, distribution network wow. so they could control the experience for people and create a more meaningful brand wrap around it. I think they've twice made the most alcoholic beer the world has ever seen and they've been, <laughs> been, been beaten once in, in the middle and they had to innovate the technology to be able to get enough malt in the mash to be able to create enough alcohol. So I just, I love them as an organization because I just think they are, they're just so innovative.
2: B-R-E-W-D-O-G.com. I'm on it. It's cool. Yeah. yeah. All right. We will uh, just
0: give a quick shout out to our sponsors, to uh, Gore and to crew.io, who has always helped us uh, make sure we have a little bit of money left over to uh, to donate to uh, one of the best causes in the insurance industry, to WIC, and uh, say so to say, Ben, thank you very much for coming on the show. Great okay. pleasure. Thanks, Ben. Cheers. Thank
1: you. Thanks for asking me. Great to see you. Thanks for
0: everything. Thank you. All right. And uh, Ben, we'll give you the last word here. Do you have some uh, closing thoughts? Any thoughts for the industry, for brokers? You know, what, uh, what one message do you want to shout out to, uh, to the insurance world here?
1: I would just say that, you know, Aviva is, is going to be doing some pretty interesting things in the next couple of years. And I think we're, we're a company to, um, to watch, company to work with. And we look forward to collaborating with everybody to build a better industry here in Canada.
2: Awesome. Thank you very much, Ben. Well said. Cool. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Ben. I think he's full of shit. No, I'm
3: kidding. <laughs> 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 I think, no, Ben's, Ben's a great
2: guy. It's nice. He it, it comes off natural. It, it was cool to hear him talk about uh, a, a bit of the humility of saying, you know, he had that spark over there, was sent over here with a mission, or came over here on a mission of we we're on the precipice of digitizing and they threw in a huge investment chip stack down and then whether through headwinds or th- the industry just didn't flip to digital overnight.
0: Ben Ben came over to Canada. I mean, I was there at the time. He came over as the CIO, right? So yeah. the head, head technologist, if you will. And he definitely came over. He'd spent some time in the garage over in the UK, the UK version of the garage and, you know, really had that digital view. And he, he, he took, Vivus technology out of the '50s, 1950s yeah and brought it into the 21st century, right He brought he didn't just bring the the talk he 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 brought the walk as well, right a lot of basic stuff got updated, a lot of uh, important stuff got updated there was you know a lot more investments being put into it.
4: he kind of brought the sexy like the, the sexiness back to insurance, the whole digital thing. he brought that vibe over. he's the Timberlake. Because, uh. <laughs>
2: I'm not saying, seen sex,
4: I'm just saying the sexiness factor of insurance. Like there's no other space in 2016 when it opened up like the digital garage and insurance across Canada. You know, you walked in there, Lady Lovelace is on the wall, Steve Jobs is on there. Yeah. The space is perfectly designed from head to toe. It, just, it, just, uh, it was like you're working at a startup and it was like you're working at Google and in insurance. So I got to think it attracted a lot of really cool people into the industry and uh, helped them land some good talent. You know, they, they got it off the front and the gate really quickly like Aviva always does, and they had to backtrack. They got ahead of digital further than anybody else, and then the wheels kind of fell off because of the market, and they had to make a shift in the pivot. Ben pivoted with it, he's still in Canada, he's still working at Aviva, so he's done the ultimate pivot, and he's coming back to the whole mat- maturity of digital, right?
0: What, I think one of the outcomes, if you will, of the garage, forget all the digital stuff, is just that bringing, driving home the fact that the environment in which you work has a positive or negative impact on how people think. And you know, you guys have been to the office they have in Markham, right? It is night and day difference from the office in Scarborough. And you yeah. could see how people thought and operated, interact with each other when they are at the garage versus when they're at, you know, the traditional kind of beige wall kind of place, yeah. right? Totally different thought process, way That's more cool. creative.
3: I wouldn't know Ben if I wasn't on the CSIO board with him for I don't know. He was there for five meetings maybe yeah he he lobbed grenades for thought and then he just disappeared but some of the stuff that we're still doing today um and talking about is because he pushed he asked questions five years ago how much
2: how much would you pay to hear him sing Alanis Morissette in karaoke (laughs) what do you think of the idea that this 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 podcast wouldn't exist without Aviva no, what you got to follow it back wouldn't. a few butterfly effects but like yeah. we all know Tom because Tom and Aviva created the Digital Broker Council.
3: <laughs> Tom picked us.
2: We we <laughs> got together over a lot of years and you know made a bond. They they had the courage to invest in it. They had the yeah. courage to go and lead and do something different. They had the courage to get this ridiculously overpriced bay street address build it out with shipping containers and make it cool that to the point we all know the art on the wall you name me another piece of art in another insurance company (laughs) office anywhere you can't it means something and yeah yeah, as a guy who's failed at a lot of shit and lost a lot of money like i can respect that you know they're gonna (laughs) dust themselves off and walk into that board meeting and throw grenades and see like this is horseshit forget all your pomp and like practice like i'm not doing it like what? why why are we here for these tea and crumpets like forget it
4: <laughs> digital maturity when was digital maturity gonna end and i
0: that think we matured. just we just got the uh the, the last word on this uh rap uh, <laughs> know,
4: tom where. tom's getting called for dinner dinner time. Right. No, no, no yeah i just like how, <laughs> how
0: can we top how can we top what adam just said it's impossible